Good morning. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. Yeah, uh, it is good. It's good to be here with you today, a sunshiny day. It was raining when I left home, so thank you for providing the sunshine when we got here. We're very excited about that. Uh, and it's very good to be back with you today. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, Jordan is in our home church at Kalkaska. Jordan and I both grew up there, um, and uh, all month long they're having Timothys from uh, Kalkaska come back and preach there. Uh, I was there the first Sunday of the month. Uh, I'm here so Jordan can be there, and then in a couple of weeks I got to go preach for my dad so he can be there. So I I'm filling in all over the place this, this month so that Kalkaska can enjoy uh, some of these ministers, and it's really exciting to be able to be back with you today so that we can continue our discussion about discipleship. You know uh, that the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls us to be people who are making disciples, right? Go into all of the world and make disciples out of all peoples, baptizing them and teaching them, and so on and so forth. And we talked about that last week, that we become disciples in and through relationships. Uh, and um, Last month when, when I was here, we talked about six different relationships that we have to have in order to be disciples. All discipleship is relational in nature. All discipleship is relational in, in nature. All discipleship happens in uh, and through relationship with other people. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, you follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's all that, that discipleship is, is, is us following the example of people who have been following the example of people who have been following the example of people who have been following the example, all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to Christ. And so we continue to follow these examples of, of disciples in order to become disciples, and then in order to make more disciples. All discipleship is relational. It requires us to be in relationship. It requires us to be a part of a community in order to be uh, Christ's disciples. But uh, even in that community and even in those relationships, we ask ourselves, what is it that we're supposed to do in these relationships? What are we supposed to do in the community of disciples? Having the relationships is not enough. We must be intentional about what activities we take part in in those relationships and in those communities. And so I want to talk with you about that today. Last month we talked about the relationships we need. Today we want to talk about the activities that are supposed to be a part of those relationships. The earliest church was not... Um, was not really a church the way that you and I think about it. They, they didn't meet in buildings like this. Uh, they did not have um, uh, worship services that are laid out like, like we do. Um, they, they were not so much a church as they were a community of people living in relationship with each other and trying to live differently from the world around them, trying to live like Jesus had taught them. And in living differently, they were highly effective at making more disciples. Because of the way they lived, they were able to reproduce uh, in uh, the, the city in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas where they lived, 
uh, more and more disciples because of what they were doing in this community. And so I want to go back to the early days of the church, to the first chapters of the book of Acts, in order to see what the church was doing then in community, in these relationships, that was so highly effective that they became a group of disciples who were making disciples. So if you have your Bible with you, whether you've got a paper copy or a digital copy, I want to invite you to come to the book of Acts with me. We're going to be in chapters 2 through 6 today. Don't worry, I'm not reading all of chapters 2 through 6, all right? We're going to play hopscotch a little bit in chapters 2 through 6. But if you've got a Bible, feel free to open up to Acts chapter 2, because that's where we're going to begin. And in these chapters, um, I've noticed a a recurring theme that that every so often when the Bible talks about the disciples, it talks about them doing something together. That word gets used, together. And so I want to take a look at the together passages from the very early days of the church in Acts 2 through 6 to see what they were doing together because I have a feeling that these are the same things we're supposed to be doing together as disciples who are making more disciples. So we begin in Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning of the chapter. I know we have a tendency to begin with Peter's sermon. We want to get to the repent and be baptized, each and every one of you. That's, that's our bread and butter as the church of Christ. But we gotta, we got to back up to the beginning of the chapter, all right? got to start in, in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, to find the first together of this community. So here it is, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here we have uh, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church is born, the day the church as we understand it began, the day the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people uh, for the, 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 uh, in this indwelling way for the very first time. We see that all of the disciples were together. Well, what were they doing together? They were, as a matter of fact, they were waiting. And this is one of the things that disciples do. Disciples wait together on God's Spirit. And then they act on it. Disciples wait and act together with God's spirit. The disciples are all together in this house. And um, what are they doing? They're waiting. And they've been waiting for a while. In fact, if you back up to chapter 1, in the middle of that chapter in verse 14, it says that all of the disciples, along with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and along with Jesus' brothers, they've all gathered in this house for some amount of time to wait for days. For a couple of weeks, they've been together and they've been waiting, not doing nothing, by the way. Waiting is not doing nothing. I know a lot of times it may feel like that, but in their waiting, they are preparing themselves for what is to come. In fact, uh, verse 14 of chapter 1 tells us that they gathered together in this house where they were waiting on God and that they prayed together constantly while they were waiting. 
They were waiting because that is exactly what Jesus told them to do. You back up even farther to verse 4 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, and you find Jesus telling his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait there for God's Holy Spirit. Uh, In our culture, we are so insanely busy. We have always got to be doing something. In fact, I'm usually trying to do about three things at the same time, which never works out quite the way I want it to. But there is real merit. There is real holiness. There is real godliness in disciples waiting together until God's Spirit says it's time to move. And then once God's spirit says it's time to move, to get up and move, and that's exactly what the disciples do. They pour out from that upper room filled with the spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying in the streets, baptizing the people who have come to Jerusalem for this celebration of Pentecost. Peter goes out and he proclaims this great sermon quoting from the prophet Joel. Your, your young men will, will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on both your sons and your daughters, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy in the last days, says the Lord. And, and the people are convicted. What then shall we do? And Peter says, well, repent and be baptized. And says that this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, which is us. So I'm very thankful for that. And, and the disciples, because they have waited together, are ready to act together. Because they have waited on the Holy Spirit, they are now ready to act with the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of all of this? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, gives us the result of what happens when the disciples wait and act together. Chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't care who you are, where you are, that's an impressive day at church. All right, uh, because the disciples were willing to wait together and act together in community with the Spirit. Don't forget that. They're, they're centered, they're waiting, and they've centered their activity around the Spirit of God. Very vital, very important. Because they were willing to do that, they were able to make more disciples. So if we want to be disciples who are making more disciples, one of the things that we have to be willing to do is together with each other, wait on God's Spirit and act with God's Spirit. Well, what else do disciples who make more disciples do? What other things happen in community? Let's go on in chapter 2 to just two verses, verses 44 and 45. Let's uh, uh, take a look at those because this is the next time the word together shows up. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45 say this, that all the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what do disciples do when they are together? What's one of the activities that we're supposed to be doing in community? Well, disciples care more about each other than themselves. When we are disciples who want to make disciples and we are living in community with each other, one of the hallmarks of that will be that we are a people who care more about each other than we do about ourselves. We are a culture that is absolutely obsessed with self. 
I, I, when I was in high school, I worked for Burger King. Uh, I worked for Burger King for so long that I, that I didn't eat Burger King for years after I was done. There's only so much of that you can take when you're on the job. Uh, but I remember at that time, um, there, the Burger King slogan was, have it, anybody remember? Your way, you better believe it. Have it your way. Uh, it was actually have it your way right away, which we as employees changed to have it your way sometime today. Because um, we knew the truth. But have it your way. And that is the credo of America, isn't it? That it's going to be my way. What I want it to be. And if things aren't the way that I want it to be, well, then I'm going to either change that or I'm going to go rogue and rebel and do my own thing or I'm going to find another group to belong to who will do things the way that I think that they should be done. We are a culture that is absolutely consumed with self, but the earliest Christians were a culture that was consumed with caring for each other. Self was not their driving factor. Caring for each other was paramount and preeminent. They loved each other by giving up their own possessions that others might have what they lacked. They cared for each other even if it meant selling the things that they had. They had a mindset that what's mine is not mine. What's mine belongs to God. And God can use it for whomever he would like to. I will, I will allow God to use all of the things that he already has anyways that I'm just caring for, that I'm just stewarding in order to bless other people's lives. In fact, in chapter 4, we see this played out a little bit more. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35 say this, that all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is how they decided to live. Why in the world would they decide to live like this? Well, because it's what Jesus taught them to do. All the way back in the gospel stories, Jesus has encounters with, with people, and he says that we ought to be taking care of other people. He says things like, sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. Man, what do you think would happen in America if the church actually believed that Jesus meant that? What do you think would happen in our communities if we actually believed that Jesus meant for the things that we had to be used not for us, but for each other and for those less fortunate? That would transform the landscape of our communities. And what happens because they're together? because they're together like this, because they're willing to, to share what they have back and forth. Well, our, our text in chapter 4 told us that, that the apostles were able to do great miracles and testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus powerfully because this is how they lived. 
what do disciples do when they're together? They care more about each other than they do about themselves. Well, let's move on. In chapter 2, still another pair of verses where we find this great word together. This is verses 46 and 47 of chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. This is our third time that we've encountered this word uh, in, the, in the book of Acts uh, um, in reference to the early church. This is what it said. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What do disciples who want to make more disciples do? Well, disciples meet together. They meet together publicly, and they meet together privately. If we're going to be a people who are disciples making more disciples, then this has to be one of the things that is part of our communal life, that we meet together publicly, and we meet together privately. They met together publicly. They met together in the temple courts, and they met together privately. They met from house to house. We need public displays of worship. That's what this is. This is a public display of worship, but we also need those public displays of community beyond these four walls. Out into the world where others live, they met very publicly in the temple courts where they could be seen by anybody, where they could be mocked, laughed at, ignored, joined, have rocks thrown at them. They were willing to, to get together and worship publicly. We need that same kind of attitude. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together at Solomon's Colonnade, which is on one end of the temple court. It's kind of a, a, a covered porch area at one end of the temple courts where the, the, the leaders and the teachers of their day would get together to discuss the matters of great importance, and apparently the apostles just took it over. Like, you wanted to discuss something of great importance, let's talk about Jesus. They had this public display, but they also met privately. They gathered, according to Acts chapter 2, from house to house. They broke bread, which, which when we hear that, we think communion, and, and certainly that would have been part of what they did, but, but they, they literally sat down and, and ate together as well. That was part of their worship, was in sharing together in, in meals and in community and, and, and just catching up with each other and praying together and, and singing together in their homes. And we need that as well. We're called to encourage one another. So that we might stay the course, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We meet together both publicly and privately so that we might encourage one another to keep going. Because sometimes, sometimes I don't want to. Have you ever had one of those days? You're not sure if you want to keep going. You're not sure if you want to keep going with your job. You're not sure if you want to keep going with your education. You're not sure if you want to keep going with your marriage. You're not sure if you want to keep going with your parents. You're not sure if you want to keep going with church. You're just not sure if you want to keep going. 
You know what helps bring me out of that? You know what helps bring us out of that? The community. The community. Someone to come around me, to sit with me when I am down, when I am discouraged, when I'm devastated, and then to help lift me up and get me back on my feet and bring me back to being a disciple, making more disciples. And what happens when we live like that, what happens when we meet together publicly and privately, our text says that the Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved, they were making more disciples because they chose to live this way. How do disciples live? They meet together, publicly and privately. Let's move forward into Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we find our next together story. It's in verses 23 and 24. And I have to set the scene uh, just for a second. Peter and John, you may remember, they were on their way up to the temple and they ran across a lame beggar and uh, they said, you know, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we give to you freely in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they healed this man. And then they went into the temple and everybody saw this man healed and they said, what's going on? And they said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And that really upset the religious leaders of their day. So they brought them in, they questioned them, and they imprisoned them, and they questioned them some more, and finally they let them go. And this is what happens immediately after that story. Immediately after Peter and John are let go, this is what takes place. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they, the people, raised their voices together in prayer to God. What do disciples do? They pray together. Disciples pray together. The early community of the church was a community that was devoted to prayer and to praying together, not just for meals, and not just at bedtime, and not just before the kids go off to school, and not just when I can't find my keys, and I'm I'm running late, and I'm in a panic. The earliest church was a community that was devoted to praying together. They prayed for direction. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for miracles. They prayed for the release of captives. They prayed praises. They prayed thanksgivings. They prayed for each other. They prayed for the lost. They prayed for God's glory. They prayed together. And the prayer that they pray here is just this magnificent, powerful prayer. Let's go ahead and read it here in Acts chapter 4. Take a look at this prayer. This is verse 25 through 30. Uh, They pray, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a prayer. They gathered together and they prayed. They prayed glory to God. They acknowledged the bad that was going on in their world. They asked for boldness. They asked for God's spirit. They asked 
for signs and miracles and healings. They prayed together and they prayed in the Spirit. And what was the result? The very next verse says this. This is chapter 4, verse 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When's the last time one of your prayer meetings was like that? Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't been in a prayer meeting like that in a long, long time. Uh, I've never been in a prayer meeting like that. But I want to be. And if it's ever going to happen, it's going to happen because I'm praying together with other disciples. Now, I don't mean to suggest that you give up praying on your own. Certainly not. We should engage God together uh, individually in prayer. But we must learn to engage God together in prayer as well. And that's very difficult for many of us. I, I don't know how many Christians I've talked to over the years um, that, that just have a really hard time praying together with other people. Um, they say their mind wanders. Well, maybe that's the Holy Spirit taking your mind where it needs to go. They, they have a, a lot of trouble praying out loud. I had, I had one friend, um, dear friend of mine, who um, is, is dying of cancer actually right now, who, um, who told me one time we were... We, I'd asked him to be on a camp board with me, and he said, yeah, I'll serve on the camp board with you under one condition. I said, what's that? He goes, never, ever ask me to pray. Uh, he's not the only Christian I've ever had say that to me. I, I'm, pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that that's not okay for a Christian to say, I don't want to pray. It's hard, though. It's hard. We get, we get so self-conscious about what we're going to pray and how we're going to sound. We don't know what words. I love what author Brennan Manning says about this in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel. He, he, talks about, he talks about little children who will draw pictures and color in their coloring books and then bring their creations to mom and dad and, and the sun is purple and the grass is blue and the tree is orange and on fire. And nothing is inside the lines, and they hand that to their parents. And what does the parent say? Does the parent chastise them and beat them and send them back to do it again? No, what does the parent do? They say it's the most precious and wonderful thing they've ever seen. They hang it on their fridge. They take it into work. They make thinly veiled references to Picasso. And Brennan Manning says this. He says, in the same way that a little child cannot do a bad coloring for their parent, you cannot do a bad prayer before God. It's impossible because your heavenly father longs to hear from you that much disciples pray together don't be ashamed don't be afraid disciples pray together well there's one more together in these early chapters of the book of acts um, that i want to take a look at it's in acts chapter six we're gonna, gonna skip forward a couple of chapters into acts chapter six to the beginning of the chapter as the church is really beginning to grow, I mean, they added 3,000 on the first day, and, and every time that we've seen one of their togethers, they keep adding more people. They're adding people in Solomon's colonnade. They're adding people daily. Uh, they're adding people, adding people. And, and the church is really beginning to, go, to grow. And when a church grows, there's inevitably going to be a problem. That is just the way it is. Growth will always lead to some kind of complication. And it does for the early church. And we find it in Acts chapter 6, in the first few verses. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, here's where we find our last um, together 
um, for today. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. What do disciples do together? Disciples solve problems together. Disciples solve problems together. The apostles could have easily settled this matter by decree or edict or proclamation or directive. They could have said, this is what shall happen. We, the apostles, have said so. Go do that. Easily that could have happened. But that's how worldly leaders behaved, and Jesus told them in the upper room that they were not to lord over people like the leaders of the world do. And they took that seriously. Worldly leaders command. Worldly leaders order people to do things. But God's people are different, and the apostles knew that if the church was going to grow and going to become a community of disciples who are making disciples, they would need to learn how to solve problems together as a community. And so that's what they did. The apostles said, uh, the most important thing is the ministry, and so we're going to keep our attention squarely focused on the ministry, but we believe that you, God's people, are capable of working this out. So come together, and together select people that, that you trust and that you believe are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they fixed it. How many problems never get fixed in the church because no one is willing to come together to solve them? How many people sit in church pews Sunday after Sunday, year after year, with hurt in their heart because their problems go unsolved because they're not willing to live in community relationship with other disciples and find a solution to that problem. How often are we not making things better because we're not coming together in community? The disciples were willing to come together. What was the result? You can probably guess by now. Here's what happened same story, same chapter, verses 5 through 7 of Acts chapter 6. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them, so the word of God spread. 
and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love this. There's a problem. We bring it to the apostles. The apostles say, we can fix it together. Get together and fix it. Okay, we got together. We did what you said. And the Bible does not tell us, and they solved the problem. I assume that they did. What the Bible tells us is that they added to their numbers. They grew. Even more people came to know Jesus because they were willing to fix their problems together. I'm forced to wonder how the last year and two months might have played out differently in our country if Christians had been willing to do this. For the last year and some odd weeks, I've watched as Christians have attacked each other, have divided from each other on all sorts of issues, political issues, racial issues, medical issues. And I've watched as our influence in our country has again diminished over the last year because of it. What could have happened? What could have happened if in the power of the Holy Spirit we had come together to find solutions to the divisions that we were going through instead of choosing sides on every single thing under the sun? Disciples come together to solve problems. Is this who we are? This is who the early church was. This is who they decided to be. They decided to be a group of disciples making more disciples, and they knew they had to do it together. It was the only way for that to happen. So the question then becomes for us, are we cultivating the relationships with other disciples in their life, and then in these relationships, are we willing to do what the early church did? Our coming together as disciples has to be more than just a few songs and a cup of juice and offering. It has to be. We must learn to wait together, act together, meet together, both publicly and privately, pray together powerfully, and solve problems together so that we might make more disciples together. So that's what I'm trying to commit myself to in my own life. To be together with other disciples in these ways. And, and I want to encourage you to commit yourself to that as well. It doesn't matter if the person sitting next to you does or not. It matters if you do. Will you choose to be a disciple who's doing life together with other disciples so that you can make more disciples. It has been a real joy for me to be here today uh, and last month as well to, to be able to share these two messages on discipleship with you. And I got to tell you that this is still only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to discipleship. 
disciples do way more things than these five. I mean, open up to literally any page of the New Testament, and there's another thing for disciples to do. But this is a good starting point. So as we begin, and as we do these basic things, and as we learn to do more, and as we understand more, may we be committed to being disciples, to being disciples together, and to being disciples together who will make more disciples. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for uh, this group of brothers and sisters living in Jerusalem so many, many years ago. We thank you, Father, for their uh, examples in, in, in the midst of the death and resurrection of Jesus in the midst of a changing world, in the midst of a Roman occupation, in the midst of a, a religious uh, a movement in their own country who wanted nothing to do with them, and in the midst of hardship, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of all this newness of following Jesus. We thank you that they were absolutely devoted and absolutely committed to figuring it all out together. Help us to be like them. Help us to wait on your spirit and act in accordance with your spirit together. Help us to care more about each other than we do about ourselves. Help us to pray powerfully in your spirit. Help us to solve problems in the wisdom of your spirit so that more and more people might see the church living as it was designed to, being who it was created to be, so that more and more they might be attracted to church like that, so that they might want to come to and be part of something together with the people who are living life like this. And may the story of the Bible be our story today, that you add daily to your church those who are coming to believe in Jesus because we are living together as disciples who make disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things.